Amen. All right, there we go. Good morning to everyone. What a great day it's already been. It's hard to believe you all were second graders when I moved to Memphis. You have changed a lot. I don't know how much I have changed. Um, I remember my first senior Sunday when I stepped up here to preach a sermon. There were some guests who were here, and they came up to me afterwards, and they said, that was so cool that the church let one of the seniors preach today. Uh, And uh, hopefully for guests today, you look up here, and you're thinking, that looks like a mature, experienced man of God. You all are my kids' babysitters, some of you, and you're an inspiration. This morning was great. Caroline, your line of the valedictorian of the youth group will go down. One of the greatest statements made from this stage. And the four guys who came up here for communion, at first I thought you were like going to do a quartet. Like it was the newest boy band coming out of the Sycamore View youth group. Uh, So happy, excited, and proud, proud of all of you. I wrote a sermon this morning. I just want to unpack a little bit of Luke 5 because when I was your age, when I was a senior, I was 18. I knew preaching is what I wanted to do. And Luke chapter 5 was a chapter the Lord gave me that year that has gone on with me to establish me in my faith and in my ministry. And I hope to speak just a couple of things to you all today as well as a couple of points that will make sense to the life of the church no matter where we are. Uh, This past week, I had a chance to travel uh, to speak on the West Coast. it's 10 straight years. It's an annual trip where I get, go to speak in, at Pepperdine in Malibu. I know it's a hard life when you've got to preach the gospel out in Malibu, but someone's got to do it. And if Jesus can make sacrifices, I can make sacrifices too, all right? I got to hang out with Eric and Sharita a little bit. Um, man, it was a minister here at our church for about four years. It was great to see them. Uh, a while back, the director came to me and he said, hey, the theme for this event for 2018 is on the Holy Spirit, which we could not think of a conference in Churches of Christ where the theme has been the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to let you choose. You want to preach a sermon from Romans 8 or from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14? And I didn't care. So Don McLaughlin preached a few weeks ago. We asked him and Don said he just wrote a book on 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. So Don took that one and gave me Romans 8. Last fall, I walked this church through a series on Romans 8. It's become one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. And when I did the series for you, when I walked us through Romans 8 last year, the thing I did on the very first Sunday of that series is I stood up here and I had memorized Romans 8, and I recited it so you could hear it in the fullness of just all 39 verses coming together. So we were going to do that at Pepperdine Thursday night as part of the keynote. So I worked with the worship team that was there that day. We met around lunch and we rehearsed and tried to get where uh, the praise team would come in at the end for this powerful moment with the oohs and the ahs and a little vocal percussion. And we were just, we were, as we rehearsed, there were just tears in the room because the power of the word of God was coming to life. But then we had to do a sound check later on that day. And we got, on, we got in the room with the sound check in the big room where this uh, worship service was going to take place. And I'm on the stage. And as we're going through sound check, I could not remember lines and verses. And I didn't know what came after verse 13 or verse 27. And I was frustrated myself for a couple of reasons. One, I'm too young to be losing my memory was one thing I was thinking. 
And the other is, this is the word of God. It's not like I just wrote a sermon and I can say a sentence wrong in front of you and then, you know, just repeat it or say it again in a way to make sense. It's the word of God. And there was timing and flow that all had to be together. And I was so frustrated with myself. So after rehearsal, I went to a back room and I was just trying to just get in a moment and trying to go through it in my head. And there's a girl on the praise team three minutes before the worship service began who came over to me with her husband. And she's a woman, she's only been in America five years. She's still an immigrant. And she's trying to navigate church life and American culture. And she speaks English and Spanish. And she came over and she said, I can tell you're restless. Can I pray for you? She laid her hands on me. And for three minutes, she prayed the fire of God over me. And it was like this peace came over me. This peace came over my heart. Anxiety was gone. And I was able to step up on stage with this group and recite Romans 8. And we created, God created this powerful moment where the word of God came to life for a few thousand people. And there were people who contacted me even this morning saying, what, what that night taught me is that the word of God has power and that the word of God can perform. I want the seniors here to know and I want the church to know about the power of the word of God in your life. That you cannot go forward in spiritual development without it. Because sometimes what happens, sometimes what happens in our lives is there are people, and especially in the younger generation who have seen older people, have a love for the Word of God, but there's not the fruit that goes with that. And when that happens, some people may think, well, then why should I have a passion for the Word of God if it's not producing fruit in the people who seem to have a passion for the Word of God? So sometimes what happens, especially in service-oriented, justice-oriented, compassion-oriented churches is what we tell ourselves is we just need to be Jesus to the world. We just need to love Jesus, and we'll just love Jesus and be Jesus. And sometimes that becomes a cop-out or an obstacle to being people who are diving deeper into the Word of God, into Scripture, into the Bible. And what I want us to believe as a church is that the Word of God holds within it power that is endless, timeless, it feeds the soul. We cannot live on nibbles alone. We cannot live on snacks alone. We've got to be immersed in the truth and character and nature of, of the Word of God. Another thing it taught me the other night is there's power in believing that when we pray, something is happening. Now, I don't use a phrase. I've chosen in my life. I don't use a phrase. And maybe you do. And if you do, it's not heretical. I'm not saying it's heretical. I don't use the phrase prayer works or um, that prayer is powerful. I believe God works and God is powerful and prayer is what connects us to God. But there is something that happens when we lay hands on each other in prayer. There's something that happens when our seniors are on this stage a few moments ago surrounded by people and though there were only two people on a mic speaking prayers, we join in that prayer with our voices and with our hearts and with groans and maybe with lifted hands as we believe something is happening in this moment. So when we pray as a church and when we finish sermons and, and we're standing in declaration, how we sing and how we pray matters. And you may never see the fruit of how it matters, but it does. I started praying over the seniors as we were singing the song earlier of no other gods, thinking that throughout the rest of your life, you're going to be challenged to have other gods in your life. And how can we live deeper into that confession? Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Let me just walk through this. Luke chapter 5 verse 1, it goes like this. 
One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and they were listening to the word of God that was coming from him. And Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats. Like crowds are pressing in on Jesus. Maybe Jesus got claustrophobic every once in a while. So to get away from the crowd, he steps into one of the boats. One thing I love about this is in this moment, Jesus steps into Peter's world right before Jesus is going to call Peter into his world. And I don't know if this was on the mind of Jesus, but I think it is good theology that God has chosen to step into our world and then God asks us to step into his. He has stepped into pits to deliver you from pits. He has stepped into valleys to deliver you from valleys. He has stepped into your occupation to try to teach you how to live your occupation with a deep love for God. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. And I wonder in the back of his head, he's like, here's a guy who's not a fisherman trying to tell fishermen how to do what they do. Don't you hate when people who aren't in your profession try to tell you how to do your profession? He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Let me pause right there. Jesus did not speak words into Peter's life of how Peter was a sinner. He's not even preaching in this moment. He performs a miracle, and the miracle alone draws Simon Peter to his knees where he falls in the presence of Jesus and knows that he's a sinner in the midst of Jesus. Look, here's the deal when we're pouring into the next generation, all right? When we're pouring into younger people, as we pour into them, I hope that we are affirming and encouraging. And for those in the room who have the gift of affirming and encouraging, I want to encourage you to keep going because sometimes as one who is an affirmer and encourager, you may give 50 words of encouragement and only receive one in return. You need to live in the gift God has given you and keep doing what you do, all right? But here's the thing as we pour into the next generation. If all we do is affirm them and hand them ribbons and hand them trophies and think that everything they do every single day is worthy of an Instagram photo to highlight that, at what point will they realize or will they know that they cannot go through life thinking they are at the top of the world or the center of the world, but they are in need of a Savior named Jesus? And we can do this without making people feel like they are awful human beings in need of a Savior. But here's Peter who finally comes to this point, which all of us, hopefully, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, we have to come to the point in our own lives where, man, I, I, I'm in a sinner in need of, I, I am a sinner in the need of Jesus. Peter falls on his knees. Go, well, get away from me. I'm a sinner. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And this is different than Matthew and Mark, because in those two places, this is where Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for men. But in Luke, he says it a little differently. From now on, you will be catching people. In the Greek, it's literally from now on, men, you will be catching. It's this image of being captured alive. That the mission Jesus has given people to the seniors, to the church, the mission Jesus has given us is not to be ankle deep, knee deep, 
waist deep, neck deep, but it is to be fully caught, fully caught by God. So let me give you two things. So seniors, you're going to remember this for the rest of your life. You ready? All right. Church, this is for you too. Two things. We're in a series right now called Love Moves. Here's two things I want you to take with you. Love moves toward God. When we are in awe and when we come to a greater understanding of the love of God, the love of God moves us toward God. In Luke chapter 5, there's an invitation and response. There's a call and response. This happens throughout the entire Bible. God speaks and God is asking for there to be a response from his people. Now, in your life, at some point, there needs to be a response from you to enter into covenant with God. You were not saved by a gospel of niceness or trying to be a good person. At some point, we make a decision and we respond to enter into this. Now, you are not in need of a daily confession to keep saved or a daily form of repentance to keep saved or multiple baptisms in your life to keep, be kept saved. But we are in need of daily decisions in our lives for transformation, for growth, for development. Here's a phrase I've, I unpacked this past week, and I've been thinking and reflecting on in my own life, all right? In the life of the church, what we have done is we have made saying yes to Jesus essential for salvation, which I believe to the core of who I am. We have made saying yes to Jesus essential for salvation, but we have made saying yes to the Spirit an option for spiritual growth and maturity and development, let me say it again. We have made saying yes to Jesus essential and vital for salvation, but saying yes to the Spirit is an option. And we wonder why there are people in our churches all over the world who are not maturing or developing or growing in Christ. It's because we haven't given a lot of people in our churches a working understanding of the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit who is working in our lives to introduce us to the deeper things of the heart of Jesus. So love is moving us toward God. Number two, love is moving us with God. So the love of God is not just moving you to him. The love of God is now moving us with God throughout the world. So next Sunday, I'm launching a new seven-week series, and I'm calling it Christ in Culture, not Christ against culture, because that's not what Jesus taught the church to be about. The, one of the greatest challenges for the church in the first century, still one of the greatest challenges for us, is how do we live out kingdom life as we navigate Roman streets or Memphis streets or American streets? So as we take seriously the call of the gospel, we're not just pressing away or moving away from culture. We're learning how to walk with God in everyday life to try to promote and live out the gospel everywhere we go. And this becomes a challenge for us. Because for the seniors today and for the church, Every single day, we are tempted to put on a different lens, whether it is a political lens, an American dream lens, a lens of our job, which taints how we view and think about the gospel. One of the greatest forms of idolatry in the lives of Christians today is that we have made God a priority and not the one who is over every other priority in your life. That we've made God a priority, kind of next to job as a priority, family as a priority, your hobbies as a priority, instead of being the one who is over all priorities. And when we immerse ourselves in other primary lenses, whether it's family, political convictions, whatever it may be, when we immerse ourselves in other primary lenses, we think it is helping us stay in tune with reality and everything going on in life and failing to see that it is idolatry in the eyes of God. 
when Jesus and his kingdom and the love of God is not the primary lens that we view everything else through. That we love toward God and we love with God. And now we get to leave today to try to flesh out what this means in all of life. A story I've told multiple times. I, uh, my, my dad's been a preacher for over three decades. And I called home just over a decade ago on a Sunday afternoon. And my parents, my mom started crying when she told me a story of what had happened in the life of their church that day. That they were having, like we do our uh, Panama Fiesta and they... We auctioned stuff off, and that day they, they auctioned off their teenagers. We've done this a few times, where you hire them for, you know, clean houses or yard work, and they did it this day for their teens, and every teen was hired out who was going on youth camps and church camps, work camps, and all the things they were doing that summer, and most kids were going for around $300, and at the very end, there was one girl who would not be able to go on to church camp, work camp, mission trip. She was a 14-year-old girl with Down syndrome, but she started walking down that aisle to the front to stand up at the microphone where every other teenager had stood up. And she walked to the microphone and she stood up. And she was a girl who had trouble speaking. She, it was hard for her to get words out, but she also knew she couldn't do a lot of the other things these kids were talking about doing. And she stood up at the microphone and in front of this entire church, she started singing, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. She forgot the lines. The youth minister came and knelt beside her, and together they finished out the song, Jesus Loves Me. And somebody stood in that moment and said, I'll give $500 to be a friend with that girl. And that day she became, that day, the most powerful minister in the life of that church. She had a chance to step up at a microphone in front of people, and she chose to use it as an opportunity to sing about the love of God. I don't know what kind of microphones God's going to place in front of you this week or what kind of people he's going to be in front of you. And some of you, the last thing you need to do is start singing about anything in front of people, right? <clears throat> but may the song and the life that flows from us this week be something that moves us and others toward the love of God and with the love of God. To the seniors, I love you. We pray for you. We're here for you for years to come. For the elders, prayer leaders, will you please go around this room to receive people for prayer? For you may be here this morning and you're in need of a touch of God, a blessing of God, a prayer, some form of confession. So we have a few different places throughout this room where our leaders are here to receive you and feel free to make your way to them. If you want to find one of our leaders in the back or over to the side by the, the, by the walls, those are places where you go just for you. If there's something you would like to bring in front of the life of this church, come up front. And Sam's up here to my right. Can we stand together as a church and let's sing a song?